This is Life Change Church, Muskegon. What are you doing while you listen? Driving, mowing the lawn, folding the laundry, multitasking? We're so glad you're here. Subscribe and share this weekly podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, on iTunes, or at mylifechangechurch.tv. Join us in person Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 11.30, or catch us on Facebook Live. Here's Pastor Ron Rands. Well, good morning. I am so thankful about being back with you guys today. My wife and I came back, and yes, it was beautiful in Florida, uh, but it's always good to be home. Home home to me is with my fellow believers and those who I'm really uh, kind of looking and fishing for. The Bible says that we're supposed to be fishers of men. I have a lot of fish out there that haven't been caught yet. Amen? All of us should have a whole bunch of fish that aren't caught yet and trying to work on that inside of our own hearts. God, how do we... You know, help them see how great you are, because he is such a great God. And uh, if you would turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 12, we're going to talk, this is our final message in our series that we've been given on the book of Nehemiah, and you could be preaching forever on the book of Nehemiah, but we've broken into like four different places. One of them, for review, is we said how important it is to prepare. Are you prepared with God for your marriage? Are you prepared with God for your kids? Are you prepared with God for your finances? Preparedness is very important. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. Aren't you thankful that God, Jesus himself, is going up to heaven right now, preparing a place for you so that when you pass from this life to the next, there's a place already ready for you. Second one is, and just as important as the being prepared, which means knowing that God wants you to step out. He wants you to step out of who you are into all he has for your life. That he doesn't want you just to be in a space of routine, you know, the same thing every single day. God has beautiful things fashioned and shaped for your lives because he wants your life to touch another life. And then third of all, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, is this fight. And there's, in the minute you step into all what God has for your life, there is going to be a fight. There's a fight and resistance within yourself. And there's also going to be a fight outside. And again, I don't want to go into that. That was a couple weeks ago message. Today we're going to be talking about the power of celebrating. This was probably of all the things that I had to learn from my, my study of, of Nehemiah was this one. You say, it seemed like that would be the one you'd want to learn. It is the one you want to learn the most. But it was most difficult because my life is shaped around a lot of fighting. And I'm not talking about physical fighting as much as just, it just seemed like life just didn't come easy. Grades didn't come easy for me. I went, even when I was in high school and going into college, it didn't come easy. I had to really work and, uh, hard. Workplaces, and in fact, I remember missing promotions. And I was, one, believe it, I had a job opportunity, 1,000 applicants and it got down to two of us. You know, I felt pretty special until all of a sudden the other person got it. You know, so I went, I went through the you know, space of being disappointed and rejected. That's the fight. And you know what? We have to go through those places in life because God wants to know those are tests that you're going to go through life, that how you handle disappointments when you miss a promotion or maybe a relationship doesn't unfold the way you'd hoped it to be or maybe all of a sudden, you know, you, your prayers and they weren't answered on your timeline or whatever, you're going to face disappointment. And today's message is talking about how important it is, is that on the inside of you, there needs to always be a celebrate. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your 
strength. We're going to learn today that God's word tells us that he says when we're celebrating that we're happy, it's medication. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, when, when I'm sick, I don't like, you know, I don't get sick very often, but if I'm sick, uh, a lot of times I'm going to take, you know, even if it's, you know, a headache or whatever, I'm going to probably take some ibuprofen or some medication. Well, a lot of us are sometimes soulishly or spiritually sick. Amen? We're fighting things and things are just getting us down. Or like I just said, the word disappointment, you need to get medicated. And God has a way of medication. And the first thing to get in the drawer, the medication spiritual drawer of heaven is, you guessed it, celebrating. You need to be celebrating. Isn't it funny that when you're going through the hardest things in life, the thing that you lose the quickest is celebrating. And that's the fact, the first thing usually people we do is when we go through hard things, we start complaining about it, we get frustrated about it, and we just get all kinds of gloom about it. It's exact, I mean, you're not going to get heaven from that. Amen? You're not. Heaven comes in in the space of celebration. And so today's message is to, for us to understand, and we're going to read it in just a moment, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, the first thing that Nehemiah did after he finished was take time to celebrate it to God. How many things do you, how many times do you celebrate, you know, God in your marriage? How many times do you celebrate God and children? Yesterday, I had an opportunity and uh, I, I, you know, with my wife and I, we were talking about, because we have, we have a bazillion grandkids and, and lots of kids and so it, we're, I'm strategic. And so I'm trying to strategize. Okay, all right, well, we've got 21 grandkids. That's like 21 days. And then we got 14, you know, uh, uh, um, you know ki- or seven kids and, they're, and, they're, and the, their loves of their life. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, man, I got a month and a half that's gone before I even wake up in the morning. You know, and then I said, I went, I, I, let's get strategic about this. And that, of course, that's my gift, strategy. And my wife's gift is Levite. She's, she's gifted to, to connect. And so all of a sudden, the next thing you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of getting so strategic that I can see my wife's gift of connecting is getting discarded. And I didn't even really realize it in the midst. You know, sometimes when you elevate your gift over their gift, you, you, you're excited about what God's doing or you're excited about what you see or you're excited and all of a sudden, next thing you know, your excitement isn't their excitement. And I, could, I didn't really know until I, I got away from it. And then, you know, the Lord, sometimes he goes over there and gives you that kick in the pants. I had one of those moments yesterday, a little kick in the pants. I'm in the truck, and I'm ready to take off. All of a sudden, boom, I got the kick in the pants, and God, God goes, go back in the barn and tell her how thankful you are for who she is in your life when it comes down to how hard she works at connecting. So I, I went in that barn, and I go, honey, I just want to tell you, take a moment to say, I am so thankful for you taking the time to plan out the birthdays and you know, work so hard at connecting with the kids, whether it be through cards or through, for celebrations, and she just lit up. That's really the message today. Celebration lights us up. And so Nehemiah realized that. He had just finished. Everybody's like, ooh. They're so tired, even though they're doing the work of the Lord. They just built these impossible walls. They just faced impossible enemies. They got, they got a weapon in one hand, and they got a, a tra- you know, a, a, you know, a basically a trowel in the other hand, building these walls. And they're just working like this, and they're just so tired. You know, you think, well, where's the lazy boy, right? No, that's not what Nehemiah does. He says, it's first and foremost is we need God's strength and they celebrate. And we're going to capture this right here in this storyline, history moment in Nehemiah chapter 12. And I, I kind of skipped some verses so that you don't have to hear me butcher their names. 
because there's a whole lot of names that you try to get through and I just, in fact, sometimes just to give you a little hint, um, I try really hard getting through those names and stuff and if you really listen, I'll, sometimes I'll even get, I'll try to speak the name faster. It's because I really don't know how to pronounce it. Amen? Can I just be real with you? Sometimes I just really struggle with it. And you know what? I don't think God really cares about it. I don't even think that person that's passed on to be with the Lord cares about it. But the point of it is, some of these names are struggle. All right, so here we go. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Verse 28, the singers also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephites, there we go, it's one of those words, from Bethel Gilgal and from the area of Geba and Azava, for the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. And I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of this huge wall, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right toward the dung gate. Then verse 38, we're going to jump because instead of going through all those names, verse 38, the second choir, so one went this way, another one went that way, proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on the top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens and the broad wall over the gate of Ephraim. Jeshanah, gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of hundred, as far as the sheep gate. As the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs, going in two different directions, gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God, so did I. Together with half the officials, the choirs sang underneath the direction of Jezreel, and on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoice. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you keep it simple. And I'm grateful for what you can do in the little things you assign us to. Lord, the assignment could be going out for coffee and as we share about who Jesus is, as we talk about church, as we talk about what we're learning in the Bible or, or something, a prayer answered or a prayer that we're beginning to pursue you in, all of a sudden things happen in the spirit. There's transitions and there's transformation going on. It's, it's amazing. That's who you are. And Lord, as we open up the word today, and we, un, we try to unfold principles, spiritual insight. What you're going to do in our life is supernatural. And I pray that you would mark your ways and even bring us in remembrance. Holy Spirit, this is inspired of you. May we be led throughout the week from you. And may this word come alive inside of us. And may we testify how good you are because the word is becoming flesh in our lives. We thank you for the time we have right now. We'll never have it back. And may it be effective in you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I've already kind of uh, went through the breakdown of what we've done through this whole teaching of Nehemiah. We, preparation is so important. It's so important for relationships. So important for if you're in a job setting. So important for you and your children. 
or whatever it is. And then we talk about how God wants us to step out of our skin and do things that we've never done before. We haven't, you know, even things that we never could see and all of a sudden the Lord will, will have us, you know, um, uh, move in. And then third, we talked about how important it is that we're going to have to realize we're going to face the enemy. We're going to have to face opposition and we can't quit. We've got to face that opposition and we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. But at the same time, today's message is, is so pivotal because it literally teaches us who Nehemiah was. By the way, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Now, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it meant a lot to Nehemiah. A cupbearer was someone who always was having a joyous heart. That was why they were picked. They were just joyous. Who doesn't like being around those people, right? Just people that, in fact, I remember the first time I ever saw my wife. She had a pink outfit on, and she didn't walk. She hopped. She just tranced all over. And I just looked at her, and I went, I could, I, and didn't even know it then, but I was attracted to her, though she's got, you know, she's very cute, but I was attracted to her because of just her presence. There was just something inside of Brenda that's still there. It's Jesus in her, amen? And so what I realized and recognized that that's something that all of us should have. Now, maybe of us don't have the same dosage of Brenda. I mean, obviously, she's got crazy energy in that way, but all of us should have it. Let me back up, just in fact, so much so do I believe this. Let me back up about a week ago. My wife and I, on our vacation, and we go for, we'd almost every morning go for a little walk to a cafe and have coffee and devotions together. But on one dinner uh, evening, we had uh, decided to meet with somebody from the church. We had a divine appointment. Somebody from this church, I'm not going to say who it is, but somebody from this church was literally in Fort Lauderdale the exact same time we were, and so we connected. And then we went to this fancy restaurant. And I'm not big into to fancy restaurants because usually what that means is pay more money for small dosage. All right? <laughs> so I just, that's what really had happened in that situation. And, and so, but anyway, we, this is where we agreed to be. And uh, so I had um, recognized where it was at. It's a beautiful setting right on the intercoastal. I mean, th- just this restaurant was, in fact, they, have, they had pictures of actors and actresses that normally go in this place. There's yachts that drive right up to it, get off their yacht and eat. So I already know I'm in an uncomfortable space, especially for my pocketbook. All right? But anyway, so nonetheless, we go and uh, this is where we're agreed. And then the first thing I notice is, is that there's uh, valet parking. Well, I can park my own car, all right? So I don't want to pay for the valet park. And I'm Dutch. I may not look Dutch to you because I'm short in stature, but my mother came right from the Netherlands, all right? So there's a Dutch part of me, you know what, that just goes, yeah, I don't want to spend. So I thought, I'll park my own car. So I try to find my own parking, and then I find a spot. It's not a spot, but to me, it's a spot, all right? And so I park it there, and we get out of the car, and my wife goes, that's not a spot. I go, yeah, it looks like a spot. She goes, it's not a spot. He says, it's, you're trying to save $7, and it's going to cost you $50 to get your car back. Move the car. <laughs> and so I, we're already walking away, because I'm thinking, I say, I'm happy. I'm saving 7 bucks. you know what I mean? And she goes, no, it's going to cost you 50 bucks to save that 7 bucks. So then I turn around, that ain't 50 bucks. I don't want to do that. So I get back in the car. So then I jump in the car, and I drive down the road. Little do I know I'm driving in the wrong direction. I'm going opposite of traffic because I'm just frustrated with the valet parking thing. So I drive right up to the valet person who's going to park my car, and he goes, and I don't even remember exactly how he said it, but he just goes, well, that was awkward. 
Basically, what he was saying in a really nice way, you do not have the faintest idea what you're doing. All right? And so we, I give him the keys, and I'm already feeling awkward because there's, honestly, when I say this, that there's, there's uh, Maseratis, there's Jaguars, there's Lamborghinis, everything is in the parking. I'm driving in my little rental Mitsubishi. <laughs> so I'm already feeling, so I'm, I'm already in this awkward space, dropping off my awkward car, and, then, and we're meeting this guy, and he's just happy. He's just joyful and happy, you know? And so um, he sends us, in fact, we're early because remember what I said about leaders? We should be prepared. If you're not early, you're not gonna be prepared. So we're early. So I'm early for my date with my wife and with this other couple. And he uh, sends us off into this beautiful little area to wait for our, the rest of the, um, our, our, our company. Well, what happens next is we have some conversation with the valet guy. He's just, the awkward moment became a divine moment. I think many times we're so used to our traditional ways of doing things that God has to sometimes mix it up so that you can talk about Jesus. So that's what happened. So we're just mixing, you know, talking about this. He's showing us on his phone, his, his daughters and his wife, you know, in their home. And he's, he's working because it's late at night, you know, and that's just the, his hours of late. And so that led us to eating the dinner. And, and let me just tell you something. The dinner I, I ordered, because um, uh, I usually like tuna, and I ordered this tuna. I didn't even like it. It was a little dish. It was terrible. I asked him to recook it, blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't the dinner that was great, Okay. And then the paid, how much I paid for it, it was even worse, all right? So I'm on my way back, but the joy inside of me isn't because I got a great deal or a great environment. The joy is Jesus, right? The joy is Jesus. And so we're walking outside the restaurant, and uh, my wife and I, and, and so we're, we're, we got to get our car and, you know, get the Mitsubishi. So anyway, so give them the, the, the crazy car for the, the Mitsubishi anyway. And then the next thing that happens is, is that he's, he's, some other driver gets it. So our, the guy who called me awkward earlier, we're having a discussion. And so Brenda is beautiful. She, she knows how to connect. So she goes, hey, show me your, show me your, uh, your wife again, your kids. And so, of course, he's all excited about that. And he says, isn't God good? She goes, isn't God good? That's all it took. She says, you Christians? You know, and it says, yeah, we love Jesus. And I'm a pastor, and I just love to share. And man, that just lit up that whole space of time. He, he says, I've been a Christian for seven months. And you see this right here? He says, I was out partying and seven months ago, my life was a wreck. And Jesus has changed everything. My marriage, I'm a better dad. My finances are all getting back in order. He says, God and Jesus, the best thing to ever happen in my life. Amen? That's what we should be about. We ask, what happens so many times, it seems like Christians... We, the longer we're Christians, it seems like sometimes the marriages, it never gets better than when we first get married. It should get better and better and better and better. We're supposed to go from faith to faith, glory to glory. It should just get better and better. Your walk with God should get better. Here, here's the thing I think so many times we're missing. It says we don't celebrate. We just don't celebrate. And celebration is a magnet to God's presence. How many want God's presence in your life? Celebration is a magnet to it. It draws you right into it. Nehemiah knew this. Nehemiah just fulfilled a space of a miracle and he realized that everyone around him needed to connect what God had done through him. 
What a great, in many ways, what a great father. Are you doing that? Are you so happy about going to work because Jesus is inside of you that people around you go, what is, you're awkward, you're weird. Well, thank you. I know I'm awkward and weird because Jesus lives in me. Amen? Because Christ lives in me. But before we get to that, I want to talk about, you know, Paul made this statement in life, and maybe this is where you're at. Maybe you're going through disappointments. Maybe uh, relationally, maybe financially, maybe you've just had a really bad um, a space health-wise or whatever. Maybe, maybe you can't even make it. We, we have a sister in Christ that we're, um, me and another family are going to go visit on Wednesday night this week, and uh, they're, they're watching online right now. Maybe you, because of your health is in such a struggle bus place that you can't even be present with us. Let me just share something with you. Is this, that God's strength, his joy can be so lit up on the inside of you. Though you're outwardly, you're perishing, the Bible says. Inwardly, you're lit up. Inwardly, you're getting stronger and stronger with God. And so maybe this part of your life, you just feel like it's a fight. Well, let me just tell you something. Here's, the, here's the, something I want to share before we get into the celebration part of it. Is the fight really the purpose of life? No. The purpose of you waking up in the morning isn't to endure and to go through a fight. The reason the fight is, is because of Adam and Eve brought sin in this world. You are in a fight because sin is the culture around you. So, yes, that will try to invade your thinking, invade your life. All you got to do is turn on the radio and all of a sudden you can listen to all kinds of craziness and nonsense going around you. There isn't going to be a fight, but it's not God's purpose in your life. Don't get fight-minded. Get Jesus-minded. Amen? You could be in a fight for your own life. You could be in a fight with someone else's life. Some people just want to fight. Some people don't want to fight anything. If you don't want to fight, you'll lose valuable principles in your life and those around you. And if you, all you do want is a fight, nobody wants to be around you. So, I mean, there's got to be more to life than the fight. And let me tell you something. Is winning the battle, is that the purpose in life? No. Growing in Jesus is the purpose in life. So, now that we talked about this, yes, you are going to fight things. But God didn't go over there and say, you know what? I want all of my children to fight. No, he doesn't. But he did tell you that there will be a fight. And the way to win this fight, I want to share with you, first and foremost, is that you need to be strong enough, Nehemiah 8.10, to fight that fight, to do things, go through this life, and then you're going to need his strength. And the way to get that strength, the joy of the Lord is your Thank you for the front row. All right? The joy of the Lord is your, it's your strength. So if you need strength and everyone needs strength, you need to have joy in your heart. Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, and I'm sorry, Nehemiah 1, point number 1 says, Nehemiah knew the importance of celebration. He was a cupbearer. In fact, so much so that the king recognized when he wasn't joyous, when he was gloomy. Then he says, what's wrong with you? Because he was never gloomy. It was illegal. It was literally in his Nehemiah job description, always be happy. I think it should be in all of our job descriptions, always be happy. Number two, leaders know that sadness is contagious as well as happiness. Do you know that I can come, I can bring a sadness, a gloominess inside of my relationship, or I can bring a happiness they're both contagious. Proverbs 15, 15 says this way. When a man is gloomy, by the way, it applies to a woman too, everything seems to go wrong. When he's cheerful, everything's right. 
Have you ever seen that? Where, I mean, just things are crazy, but that person's just always happy. Well, it's scriptural. It doesn't mean there's circumstances, but it just seems that everything is going to turn out right. Because that's the way it works. God works his plan through the joy of the Lord. Proverbs 17, says this, a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. How many of you think you need medicine? Y'all, but let me just tell you, I think you need medicine. <laughs> okay, a cheerful heart does good like a medicine. There are people that are going through physical sickness. And the minute I said, you know, medicine, you all think physical. But I think people are, need medicine in their relationship. They need medication in their, in their relationships. Medication in their relationship with their children. Medication in the relationship with their spouse. Medication in the relationship in their workplace. Here's what it says. A cheerful heart doth good like medicine. So if the first thing you need to have inside of that relationship is a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart. Number three, you cannot and should not do everything. All right, so when we uh, get, what we can learn from Nehemiah is this, don't try to do everything. And I want to speak to you mothers right now. How many of you are mothers? Raise your hand. Y'all too ought to do too much, okay? You try to fix everything. You try to heal all the boo-boos. You try to encourage them. You clean up their room. You clean up, you make, the, you make the dinners. You clean up after the dinner. You try to help them with the homework. You're, you're trying, and then you're, and on top of all the things that you see they need, you're trying to discern things that they're not even telling you that they need. That's just great, great people. God has truly given you a heart that's from him to love. Thank you so much. Stop doing all of it. Stop doing all of it. Okay, you need to allow God to work his plan through you and through others. You need to let God work through you and through others. And here's how I, I, I can share that with you. In fact, the body says it very clearly. God says, I made up many parts in the body and they all need to do their part. I believe it's the, it's the objective of every homestead to train kids to ha- find their gifts and serve. I do not think that parents are raised to serve kids. I'm talking to my grandkids right now. They're in the front row. I do not believe that, I believe that kids, you know, parents, you know what, they're not raised to serve their kids. I believe that kids need to learn how to serve, period. And I believe adults need to show them what's serving. A husband serves a wife. A wife serves the husband. You know what? We serve the community. We serve the neighborhood. We serve the church. We serve our God. We serve each other. And through that service, they learn how to serve. Jesus said it best. He said, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And if Jesus came here to serve, how much more are we here to serve one another. You know, I, I can't share this enough that when people do that to one another, there's love in the room. There's love in the room. Here's the thing that I've learned through celebration, and it's very difficult. How many of you have ever had people do some really mean things to you? Okay. All right, well, some of you haven't. Um, you haven't lived long enough. <laughs> All right, so let me tell you something. All of us go through some hurtful things spaces of disappointment, things that we didn't expect, things that we shouldn't expect. And you know, the Bible says that what happens is, is that, you know, flesh and blood 
is not, you know what, is not our enemy. So the first thing you need to know is this. You can't take it personal toward even the person that feels like they did it to you. It's the enemy behind the situation, not them. First thing, you do not take it personal, all right? Second thing is, is, is that how many times when somebody does harm toward you, sometimes you have to fight it, or maybe you don't even fight it. Maybe you kind of like it when it seems like bad things happen to them. Seems like something he did bad to you, and all of a sudden bad things happen to them. Sometimes you just kind of get that little tickle, that little, that little, ooh, 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 yeah, I told you so thought. Let me just say something. God says, don't do that. In fact, there, there are chapters in the Bible in the Old Testament where literally governments were making it hard on Israel and rejoiced when it got rough on Israel. And God went back and judged a whole nation because they were happy about the hard times that another nation had. You are not to rejoice when hardships come upon anybody else, even though they deserve it. Even though they're reaping what they sown, you are not, everybody say not, to be rejoiceful in that space. Let me read a passage to you that will enlighten you in this part, okay? In this part, this is found in Proverbs 24, verse 17 and 18. I know it's not in your notes, so write it down. Write it down, okay? Proverbs 24, verse 17. Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. So there are times not to be rejoiceful. And I've met people that have gone through a really hurtful divorce and all of a sudden bad things happen to them and they're kind of happy. God says, don't do that. Don't do that. For the Lord will be displeased with you because you're happy for that. He'll be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. So how many of you sometimes want God to fix them. Raise your hand if you're being honest. You want God to fix them. I do. That's, fix them. All right? God says that the minute you rejoice when God's fixing them, he stops fixing them. So, the best way for God to fix them is for you not to be thankful when God's fixing them. I know it's, I knew it went over like a lead balloon, all right? Because all of us, we, in our nature, we want God to sick them. We want God to, for them to get what we feel like they deserve. God says don't do it. And here's the reason why. Nobody in this room is without sin. So the minute you want God to fix them, what you are doing is you're judging. And the minute you judge, God says, whoop, you stop the game. Judge, you're starting to judge? Then judgment comes upon you. Judge not lest ye be judge. So I'm giving you a, a principle. So there are times where we don't celebrate. We don't celebrate when our enemies or people that have hurt you, bad things happen to them. We do not celebrate that. Although that is one time where some of us are the most desiring to celebrate. The other one is because we can get jealous of other people. I know that I'm talking to a whole different crowd in fact, it's only the people probably watching this online right now that this really applies to. But let's just pretend it applies to you right now because none of you deal with jealousy. But when good things happen to other people that we feel we deserve, good things happen to other people that we feel like we worked hard for at the workplace, maybe something that's happened in the neighborhood, maybe something that's happened in, in, you know, in, in your, your home life, maybe that's something that's happened in your church or whatever. And all of a sudden, God goes, always be happy when good things happen to other people. Always be happy 
when good things happen to other people. So we're supposed to always be happy when good things happen to other people, and we're supposed to never be happy when bad things happen to other people. That's kind of simple, isn't it? Never be happy when bad things happen. Always be happy when... Am, are we in church today? <laughs> we are in church. First Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to give it to you scripturally. These are not Ron Rand's Proverbs here, all right? These are scripture here, okay? First Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, if one part gets blessed... All the parts are glad. All right? We get excited. In fact, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've been in church, in a church setting, when somebody gets honored or valued, and inevitably somebody doesn't. And the person that doesn't gets jealous of the person that does, so there's not joy over someone who got blessed. There's jealousy. And so what happens is, the next thing you know, we're trained. In fact, my wife told me the other day, she goes, you got to stop telling other people how blessed we are. Because people keep getting jealous. Now, I drive, here's the thing, is blessings are in our life, right? So I'm driving an, uh, an older truck right now, and it's a blessed older truck. It has 199,000 miles on it, and that truck runs better than the day I got it. Okay? And here's the cool thing. The other day I was pulling a trailer with it. And you know what never usually works? Is trailer lights. I mean, if anybody knows anything, this is a 2004 truck. I've never checked. And so I'm like, ooh, I gotta pull this trailer. I wonder, plugged it all in. I went to the back of the trailer, go, no way. I mean, all, I was blinkers all light, the brake, that never happens. In fact, in my new truck, my Ram truck, I mean, I had, I had one light that was always out. In fact, people would stop me and go, hey, you know, you got a light out? I go, yeah, I know, I got a light out, all right? So, so, but even on this old truck, because see, God wants to bless you. God wants you to be joyful inside. And so every time I turn around, I'm just looking for things in my life to brag about God. And what I'm finding, though, is, is I can brag about God forever, but I'm finding is that people get jealous. In fact, I find that most of the place where people are jealous the most is in the church. In the world, I start talking about all the things God's, God's doing in my life. They go, really? How's God doing that in your life? Man, I want to be part of that. But I get in the church world, and all of a sudden, somebody in the church world, instead of just going, well, how's God doing that in your life? They go, well, I've prayed about it. And I, you know, I, I don't understand. I go to church as much as you do. And, you know, you saying God loves you more than me? No, I'm not saying any of that stuff at all. I'm just saying God's good. Oh, thank you all the time. He's just good all the time. Number four, Nehemiah knows that God deserves a celebration and thanksgiving. There is something inside of us that likes to complain, that likes to overlook celebration. I can look around in this room right now, and if, for those of you I know on a personal, and I know that God is doing great things in your life. Yet, you know what? I would probably have to ask you for you to tell me. That's wrong. You should be interrupting my life, interrupting other people's lives, interrupting people at work and go, can I tell you something? God's good. Here's how good he is. The world out there needs to know that God is good. They need to know, and the only way they're going to know it is if you're telling them. 
And so what's happening is, is we've got this leprosy activity in our life. And it's not a new thing. Let's read it in Luke chapter 17. Okay? Luke chapter 17. Here's Jesus, verse 11. As they continued toward Jerusalem, they reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as they entered a village, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus looked at them and said, go to the Jewish priest and show them that you are healed. And as they were going, their leprosy disappeared. There's a really cool thing about prayer here that we should share, okay? In the world, we think one plus one equals two. In God, one plus one equals obedience. That becomes two. In the space of that obedience, it may be a year, Maybe two years, maybe 10 years, maybe two minutes. But one plus one equals obedience. So here's these 10 lepers. And the minute Jesus says walk, they weren't healed. But as they're walking, they're obeying and they get healed. So their healing came through the obedience of what God had asked them to do. How many of you right now, God is asking you to obey something in? He may be asking you to obey in giving. He may be asking you to obey in serving. He may be asking you to be be nice to the wife or be nice to the guy. He may be asking you to work in the school system to go over there and serve hours. He may be asked, God may be asking you many different things and you're sitting there praying for this leprous thing in your body or leprous thing in your marriage, but you're not obeying this other area. One plus one equals obedience. And the obedience he's asking you to do may have nothing to do with what you're praying about. You need to obey. So here they are. They walk out disobedience, and they get healed. Verse 15, one of them came back into Jesus shouting, glory to God, I'm healed. He fell flat on the ground in front of Jesus, face downward in the dust, thanking him for what he had done. This man was despised Samaritan. Jesus said, didn't I heal 10? Where are the nine? Does only the foreigner return to give glory to God? Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you whole. How many times have we not become the nine lepers where God's doing great things? I can look around this room and God's doing great things. How many people know about it? How many people that are close to you know about it? How many in your church family know about it? We should constantly be talking and sharing the good news. By the way, that's the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what it means. And so the reason, the way the gospel grew is because people were so excited about the good news. God was changing them healing physically. He was changing their, and yes, there were hardships. Some of them were literally being hung on trees. Some of them were being skinned alive. Some of them were literally being persecuted in ways, torn away from families. But there was something going on in the inside of their life. Greater was God going on in the inside of their life than all those circumstances. And they became, what they had to do is recognize that God's power comes through celebration. And that celebration isn't necessarily what's going on the outside. That celebration is what God's doing on the inside. In closing, number five, celebrating changed lives brings unity. Praise draws the presence of God. By the way, this is spiritual laws. Praise your wife for a bit and see how much she wants to get close to you. Praise your husband. And see how much he wants to get close to you. Praise your kids. Hey, man, you're really doing that well. I'm really proud of you. 
and see how much they want to get close to you. Praise is a spiritual law. You know where it originated from? Heaven itself. It originated from heaven itself. Praise strengthens purpose. It's encouragement. I'll never tell you, don't, don't ever, ever, if, if God ever moves on your heart to encourage me, don't ever listen to the, the lie the enemy says, ah, oh, he's heard it a thousand times, you don't need to hear it. Please get out of your space and come over and say, pastor, I just want to encourage you. If he talks to you about somebody in the children's ministry, you feel an unction about, you know, encouraging them, please follow and obey that moment. Because praise strengthens the purpose. Sometimes people are ready to give up. Sometimes people are tired and weary. And all of a sudden, what does praise do? It strengthens the cause. It strengthens it. It gives us Nehemiah 8.10. We've learned it already throughout this whole service. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise gives the resolve. It is so important for us to recognize the power of praise. Now, I want to share something in closing here. This has to do, it's kind of outside the, um, what we've been sharing on. It's the power of prayer. And I would be amiss to not share this with you. What I've been learning in, in the last few years in the authority of prayer, I want to share with you. This is it. Sometimes we, we uh, don't pray because we feel it's monotony. We don't even know, um, well, I, I don't know what else to pray. Anybody ever have that where you just, you, don't, you know, I prayed it. I don't, I don't know if I should just pray it again because it just feels like I prayed that same thing over. Come on. I know that I'm not the only one around here. Some, we struggle with it, right? So then we don't do it because we feel like, well, it's the same thing. Let me just share something with you. Foundationally, Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? It's pretty fundamental. All right, but in that, in that, what we would call almost a monotonous kind of traditional prayer, there's a foundation that you should not ever lose. Number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness is in that prayer. You need to forgive others so that you can be forgiven. Acknowledgement. God is bigger than your problem. God is bigger than what's going on in your life. Acknowledge my Father who are in. He's a big God. Okay, so the, another one, acknowledgement, how big God is. There's a will in heaven that God wants in your earth. So whatever you're going through in life, don't assume that what you're going through is God's will. Because God tells us to pray his will on earth as well as it is in heaven. He wouldn't tell us to pray something that was an automatic. He wants you to pray it. All right, and then the other thing we learned from the very beginning is that Satan wants to get through the cracks, wants to get in your garden. You need to tell the devil where to go. Every day, every morning, including this morning, I tell the devil where to go. You may not enter into the space of church today. You may not enter the space of my marriage today. You may not come into the space of my children today or my grandchildren today. You may not come into the church leadership today. You may not come into my business affairs today. You may not come into any space of my life. Satan, I confuse your plans and I speak the blood of Christ and the authority of Christ over you. What Adam didn't do, I need to do and what you need to do. Take authority over the enemy. And then once I do that, I say, Jesus, I invite you to be more. This garden you've given me, my marriage, more of you. This garden you've given me, my business, more of you. You, this church, more of you. Satan, you're confused. You're locked up. Isn't it interesting? We learn this in the book of Revelation. What is God going to do? Lock the devil up? This is what he's given us authority. The reason the devil ain't locked up 
It's because you don't lock them up. You have the authority to do it. Lock them up. And then sec- every, and do this every single day. Seems monotonous, seems traditional. Then throughout the day, listen. Because see, God wants to build on that prayer. He wants you to build on that prayer time. He won't build on that prayer time if you haven't already told the devil what to do, if you already haven't dealt with the unforgiveness in your heart, if you haven't already acknowledged how big God is in your life. But he'll build on the space of that prayer time, that what we would call foundational space of his presence. And it may, you may not feel any of his presence. You may not feel even moved in that prayer time. Let me tell you something. You're just doing what God wants you to do. You're telling the devil where to go and you're inviting God into your garden. And then once he's in the garden, let God do what he's gonna do. We would not be, we'd be having a much different message today if Adam would have done that. It'd be much different. And you know what I've watched? In fact, I was just talking to a, another um, friend of mine. He's been doing this in his life. Since I, I've, been, I've been talking, this is the first time I shared this. He's been doing this. And you know what? His kids are changing. Things that he's longed for and wanted to happen in his life now are unfolding. Because let me tell you something. Here's what happens. You pray it today and you don't pray it to tomorrow and Satan comes in your tomorrow and does, undoes everything you did and prayed yesterday. But if you pray it every single day, you lock the enemy up every single day. He's gonna be in a space of frustration. He's gonna be in a space where he's in a cage. And then you invite Jesus into that space every single day. Well, now you're beginning to walk out the plan of God. Now the garden of God is God's garden for you. And then inside the garden, God will start telling you what to build and plant. Your prayer life isn't done. It just got started. Amen? Father, I thank you just for these moments, these growth moments. Lord, you're unsearchable. Your ways, God, are beyond our conception. And yet, Lord, you desire to map it out for us. Begin to lead us in a path that's not of this world. And Lord, that's with our hearts, through obedience. That's with us leaving this world and moving into your kingdom. God, thank you that we can be lit up, Lord, with you. Forgive us, Lord, for making it about this world. If you're here with your heads bowed and your eyes shut, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't have an a ongoing presence of Christ inside of your heart. Whether you're watching this or whether you're present with us right now, God's knocking on your heart. Make this prayer of invite. All you need to do. The Bible says, in fact, we learned it just today in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, all who turn to the Lord, the veils is removed. All of a sudden, the Bible will start coming alive. Prayer will, will mean and, and take on meaning in your life. All you need to do is turn your heart to the Lord and you do that through prayer. Or maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you did it in times past and you've walked away from that presence. Here we are right now. We're gonna lead you in this prayer, coming to him. Draw near unto God. He'll draw near unto you. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, in Jesus' name, I surrender and I accept what Jesus did on the cross. He died for my sins and I receive his love and his leadership in my life I surrender in Jesus name I'm all yours 
Amen. Let's stand up and worship our God. You know, God's, God's word tells us that he wants us to see visions and dreams. And while we were praising and worshiping our God right there, he showed me that our prayer is like the walls that Nehemiah built. And then as we sing that the God wants us to literally sing down and literally praise God and show the enemy what he can't have. Show the enemy what he can't have. He can't have our kids. He can't have our generation. He can't have our marriage. He can't have my grandkids. He can't have my health. He can't have, and as we're standing on there, listen to me, those prayers are those walls that we're building. So how am I, I'm gonna tell you something, how important is it to pray? Well, I guess that you have to ask how important it was the book of Nehemiah. Because those walls are the whole book. It was designed to keep out the enemy. You are here to do what Adam didn't do. Keep out the enemy. And you are also here to invite the presence of God in. God only goes where he's invited. He only comes. He won't smash down the road. The enemy will come where he's not invited. God will only come where he's invited. And there's no better invite than praise and worship and celebrating our King. Father, I thank you for the goodness of who you are. I thank you that how great and greatly are you to be praised. I thank you that you're entering into the praise of your people. I thank you that prayers are building up those walls around our families, around our loved ones, around our workplace, around our neighborhoods, around our, Lord God, around the schools, around the judicial system, around our government, God. God, Lord, you, Lord, if we humble ourselves and seek your face, that you will enter into the space of our lives and heaven will come into earth. God, I pray that, Lord, you train us to be weaponized, to understand the greatness of the authority you've given to us. And that our hearts will be full of celebration because we get caught up in the space of the garden of how great you are. Lord, a garden of love, a garden of praise, a garden of hope. You're such a good, good. Thank you for the garden experience we've had here in church today. Thank you for coming here in this space. I know you're busy, but you chose to be here with us. God, I pray that you be with your people as they leave here today. Lord, you, Lord, as they go, Lord God, into their workplaces throughout the week, as they go, Father God, into their homes and their neighbors, God, Lord, I pray, Lord, the presence of who you are, may the peace and the grace of who you are fill their life. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be part of all of it and to lead us and that those divine appointments that may we share who Christ is through our life. May we brag about how great you are, testify you are present in our life. May we resist the space of what the nine lepers did. And Father, may we come back into that space and brag about you like the one did. You're a good, good Father. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all God's people said, amen. Before you're dismissed again, if there's areas in your life you you, you want us to help you in that fight, whether it be just in our prayer, maybe with some, someone coming alongside you in counsel, maybe we get some scripture to fight together. We are better together. Come here at this altar. Let's pray together. Let's seek God together. For the rest of you, God bless you. Have an awesome week with Jesus. 
If you liked this message, we want you to share it. Subscribe to more podcasts through mylifechangechurch.tv. Get involved. Ask for prayer. Share your story. Go to mylifechangechurch.tv. I'm Karma Adams, producer. We'll see you next week.